Chapter Eleven of the Ivory Child by H. Rider Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven. Allan is captured. The ride that followed was really quite exhilarating. The camels, notwithstanding their long journey, seemed to have caught some of the enthusiasm of the war-horse, as they described in the Book of Job. Indeed, I had no idea that they could travel at such a rate. On we swung down the slope, keeping excellent order, the forest of tall spears shining and the little lancer-like pennons flying on the breeze in a very gallant way. In silence we went, save for the thudding of the hoofs of the camel, and an occasional squeal of anger as some rider drove his lance-handle into their ribs. Not until we actually joined battle did a single man open his lips. Then, it is true, there went up one simultaneous and mighty roar of, THE CHILD! DEATH TO JANA! THE CHILD! THE CHILD! But this happened a few minutes later. As we drew near the enemy, I saw that they had massed their footmen in a dense body, six or eight lines thick. There they stood to receive the impact of our charge, or rather they did not all stand, for the first two ranks were kneeling with long spears stretched out in front of them. I imagine that their appearance must have greatly resembled that of a Greek phalanx, or that of the Swiss prepared to receive cavalry in the Middle Ages. On either side of this formidable body, which by now must have numbered four or five hundred men, and at a distance perhaps of a quarter mile from them, were gathered the horsemen of the Black Kender, divided into two bodies of nearly equal strength, say about a hundred horse in each body. As we approached, our triangle curved a little, no doubt under the direction of Harut. A minute or so later I saw the reason. It was that we might strike the foot-soldiers not full in front, but at an angle. It was an admirable manoeuvre, for when presently we did strike, we caught them swiftly on the flank and crumpled them up. My word! We went through those fellows like a knife through butter. They had as much chance against the rush of our camels as a brown-paper screen has against a typhoon. Over they rolled in heaps, while the white kender spitted them with their lances. "'The child is top dog. My money on the child,' reflected I in a reverent ecstasy. But that exultation was premature, for those black kender were by no means all dead. Presently I saw that scores of them had appeared among the camels, which they were engaged in stabbing or trying to stab in the stomach with their spears.' Also I had forgotten the horsemen. As our charge slackened, owing to the complication in front, these arrived on our flanks like two thunderbolts. We faced about and did our best to meet the onslaught, of which the net result was that both our left and right lines were pierced through about fifty yards behind the baggage camels. Luckily for us, the very impetuosity of the Black Kender rush deprived it of most of the fruits of victory, since the two squadrons, being unable to check their horses, ended by charging into each other, and becoming mixed in inextricable confusion. Then, I do not know who gave the order, we wheeled our camels in and fell upon them, a struggling stationary mass, with the result that many of them were speared, or overthrown and trampled. I have said we, but that is not quite correct. At any rate, so far as Marut, Hans, I, and about fifteen camel-men were concerned, how it happened I could not tell in that dust and confusion, but we were cut off from the main body, and presently found ourselves fighting desperately in a group, 
at which black kendah horsemen were charging again and again we made the best stand we could by degrees the bewildered camel sank under the repeated spear thrusts of the enemy all except one oddly enough that ridden by hans which by some strange chance was never touched the rest of us were thrown or tumbled off the camels and continued the fight from behind their struggling bodies that is where i came in up to this time i had not fired a single shot partly because i do not like missing which is so easy to do from the back of a swaying camel and still more for the reason that i had not the slightest desire to kill any of these savage men unless i was obliged to do so in self-defence now however the thing was different as i was fighting for my life leaning against my camel which was dying and beating its head upon the ground groaning horribly the while i emptied the five cartridges of the repeater into those black kendah pausing between each shot to take aim with the result that presently five riderless horses were galloping loose about the veldt the effect was electrical since our attackers had never seen anything of the kind before for a while they all drew off which gave me time to reload then they came on again and i repeated the process for a second time they retreated and after consultation which lasted for a minute or more made a third attack once more i saluted them to the best of my ability though on this occasion only three men and a horse fell the fifth shot was a clean miss because they came on in such a scattered formation that i had to turn from side to side to fire now at last the game was up for the simple reason that i had no more cartridges save two in my double-barrelled pistol it may be asked why the answer is want of a foresight too many cartridges in one's pocket are apt to chafe on camelback and so is a belt full of them in those days also the engagements were few in which a man fired over fifteen i had forty or fifty more in a bag which bag savage with his usual politeness had taken and hung about his saddle without saying a word to me at the beginning of the action i found this out but could not get them from him as he was separated from me hans always careless in small matters was really to blame as he ought to have seen that i had the cartridges or at any rate to have carried them himself in short it was one of those accidents that will happen there is nothing more to be said after a still longer consultation our enemies advanced on us for the fourth time but very slowly meanwhile i had been taking stock of the position the camel corps or what was left of it oblivious of our plight which the dust of conflict had hidden from them was travelling on to the north more or less victorious that is to say it had cut its way through the black kendah and was escaping unpursued huddled up in a mob with the baggage animal safe in its centre the black kendah themselves were engaged in killing our wounded and succouring their own also in collecting the bodies of the dead in short quite unintentionally we were deserted probably if anybody thought about us at all in the turmoil of desperate battle they concluded that we were among the slain marut came up to me unhurt still smiling and waving a bloody spear lord macumazahan he said the end is at hand the child has saved the others or most of them but us it has abandoned now what will you do kill yourself or if that does not please you suffer me to kill you or shoot on until you must surrender i have nothing to shoot with any more i answered but if we surrender what will happen to us we shall be taken to simba's town and there sacrificed to the devil jana i have not time to tell you how therefore i propose to kill myself 
"'Then I think you are foolish, Marut, since once we are dead, we are dead. But while we are alive, it is always possible that we may escape from Jana. If the worst comes to the worst, I have a pistol with two bullets in it, one for you and one for me.' "'The wisdom of the child is in you,' he replied. "'I shall surrender with you, Macumazahan, and take my chance.' Then he turned and explained things to his followers, who spoke together for a moment. In the end these took a strange and, to my mind, a very heroic decision. Waiting till the attacking Kenda were quite close to us, with the exception of three men, who either because they lacked courage or for some other reason stayed with us, they advanced humbly as though to make submission. A number of the black Kenda dismounted and ran up, I suppose, to take them prisoners. The men waited till these were all round them, then with a yell of, THE CHILD, they sprang forward taking the enemy unawares and fighting like demons, inflicted great loss upon them before they fell themselves covered with wounds. "'Brave men, indeed,' said Marut approvingly. "'Well, now they are all at peace with the child, where doubtless we shall find them ere long.' I nodded, but answered nothing. To tell the truth, I was too much engaged in nursing the remains of my own courage to enter into conversation about that of other people. This fierce and cunning stratagem of desperate men which had cost their enemies so dear seemed to infuriate the black Kenda. At us came the whole mob of them. We were but six now, roaring, Jana, Jana, and led by a greybeard who, to judge from the number of silver chains upon his breast and his other trappings, seemed to be a great man among them. When they were about fifty yards away, and I was preparing for the worst, a shot rang out from above and behind me. At the same instant Greybeard threw his arms wide, and letting fall the spear he held, pitched from his horse, evidently stone dead. I glanced back and saw Hans, the corn-cob pipe still in his mouth, and the little rifle in Tombi still at his shoulder. He had fired from the back of the camel, I think for the first time that day, and whether by chance or through good markmanship I do not know, had killed this man. His sudden and unexpected end seemed to fill the black Kenda with grief and dismay. Halting in their charge, they gathered round him, while a fierce-looking middle-aged man, also adorned with much barbaric finery, dismounted to examine him. "'That is Simba the king,' said Marut, "'and the slain one is his uncle, Goru, the great general who brought him up from a babe.' "'Then I wish I had another cartridge left for the nephew,' I began, and stopped, for Hans was speaking to me. "'Good-bye, boss,' he said. "'I must go, for I cannot load in Tombe on the back of this beast. "'If you meet your reverend father the predicant before I do, "'tell him to make a nice place ready for me among the fires.' "'Then before I could get out an answer, Hans dragged his camel round. "'As I have said, it was quite uninjured.' Urging it to a shambling gallop with the blows of the rifle-stock, he departed at a great rate, not towards the home of the child, but up the hill into a brake of giant grass mingled with thorn-trees that grew quite close at hand. Here, with startling suddenness, both he and the camel vanished away. If the black Kenda saw him go, of which I am doubtful, for they all seemed to be lost in consultation round their king and the dead general Goru, they made no attempt to follow him. Another possibility is that they thought he was trying to lead them into some snare or ambush. 
I do not know what they thought, because I never heard them mention Hans or the matter of his disappearance, if indeed they ever realized that there was such a person. Curiously enough, in the case of men who had just shown themselves so brave, this last accident of the decease of Goru coming on top of all their other casualties seemed to take the courage out of them. It was as though they had come to the conclusion that we with our guns were something more than mortal. For several minutes they debated in evident hesitation. At last, from out of their array rode a single man, in whom I recognized one of the envoys who had met us in the morning, carrying in his hand a white flag as he had done before. Thereon I laid down my rifle in token that I would not fire at him, which indeed I could not do, having nothing to fire. Seeing this, he came to within a few yards, and, halting, addressed Marut. "'O second prophet of the child,' he said, "'these are the words of Simba the king. "'Your God has been too strong for us to-day, "'though in a day to come it may be otherwise. "'I thought I had you in a pit, "'that you were the bucks and I the hunter. "'But though with loss you have escaped out of the pit,' "'and the speaker glanced towards our retreating force, "'which was now but a cloud of dust in the far distance.' while I, the hunter, have been gored by your horns. And again he glanced at the dead that were scattered about the plain. The noblest of the buck, the white bull of the herd, and he looked at me, who in any other circumstances would have felt complimented, and you, O Prophet Marut, and one or two others, besides those that I have slain, are however still in the pit, and your horn is a magic horn. Here he pointed to my rifle which pierces from afar and kills dead all by whom it is touched. So I caught those gentry well in the middle, thought I to myself, and with soft-nosed bullets. Therefore I, Simba the king, make you an offer. Yield yourselves, and I swear that no spear shall be driven through your hearts, and no knife come near your throats. You shall only be taken to my town, and there be fed on the best and kept as prisoners, till once more there is peace between the black kendah and the white. If you refuse, then I will ring you round, and perhaps in the dark rush on you and kill you all. Or perhaps I will watch you from day to day, till you, who have no water, die of thirst in the heat of the sun. These are my words, to which nothing may be added, and from which nothing shall be taken away. Having finished this speech, he rode back a few yards out of earshot, and waited. "'What will your answer, Lord Macumazahan?' asked Marut. I replied by another question. "'Is there any chance of our being rescued by your people?' He shook his head. "'None. What we have seen to-day is but a small part of the army of the Black Kinder, one regiment of foot and one of horse, that are always ready. By to-morrow thousands will be gathered, many more than we can hope to deal with in the open, and still less in their strongholds.' Also Harut will believe that we are dead. Unless the child saves us, we shall be left to our feet. Then it seems we are indeed in a pit, as that black brute of a king puts it, Marut. And if he does what he says, and rushes at us at sundown, every one of us will be killed. Also I am thirsty already, and there is nothing to drink. But will this king keep his word? There are other ways of dying besides by steel. I think that he will keep his word. But as that messenger said, he will not add to his word. Choose now, for see, they are beginning to hedge us round. 
"'What say you men?' I asked of the three who had remained with us. "'We say, Lord, that we are in the hands of the child, though we wish now that we had died with our brothers,' answered their spokesman fatalistically. So after Marut and I had consulted together for a little as to the form of his reply, he beckoned to the messenger and said, "'We accept the offer of Simba, although it would be easy for this lord to kill him now where he stands.' namely to yield ourselves as prisoners on his oath that no harm shall come to us for know that if harm does come the vengeance will be terrible now in proof of his good faith let simba draw near and drink the cup of peace with us for we thirst not so said the messenger from then that white lord might kill him with his tube give me the tube and simba shall come "'Take it,' I said magnanimously, handing him the rifle, which he received in a very gingerly fashion. After all, I reflected, there is nothing much more useless than a rifle without ammunition. Off he went, holding the weapon at arm's length, and presently Simba himself, accompanied by some of his men, one of whom carried a skin of water and another a large cup, hollowed from an elephant's tusk, rode up to us. This Simba was a fine and rather terrifying person with a large moustache and a chin shaved except for a little tuft of hair which he wore at its point like an Italian. His eyes were big and dark, frank-looking, yet now and again with sinister expression in the corners of them. He was not nearly so black as most of his followers. Probably in bygone generations his blood had been crossed with that of the white kender. He wore his hair long without any headdress held in place by a band of gold which I suppose represented a crown. On his forehead was a large white scar, probably received in some battle. Such was his appearance. He looked at me with great curiosity, and I have often wondered since what kind of an impression I produced upon him. My hat had fallen off, or I had knocked it off when I fired my last cartridge into his people, and forgotten to replace it, and my intractable hair, which was longer than usual, had not been recently brushed. My worn Norfolk jacket was dyed with blood from a wounded or dying man who had tumbled against me in the scrimmage when the cavalry charged us, and my right leg and boot were stained in a similar fashion from having rubbed against my camel where a spear had entered it. Altogether I must have appeared a most disreputable object. Some indication of his opinion was given, however, in a remark which of course I pretended not to understand that I overheard him make to one of his officers. "'Truly,' he said, "'we must not always look to the strong for strength, and yet this little white porcupine is strength itself, for see how much damage he has wrought us. Also consider his eyes that appear to pierce everything. Jana himself might fear those eyes. Well, time that grinds the rocks will tell us all.' All of this I caught perfectly, my ears being very sharp, although he thought that he spoke out of my hearing, for after spending a month in their company I understood the Kender dialect of Bantu very well. Having delivered himself thus, he rode nearer and said, You, Prophet Marut, my enemy, have heard the terms of me, Simba the king, and have accepted them. Therefore discuss them no more. What I have promised I will keep. What I have given I give, neither greater nor less by the weight of a hair. So be it, O king, 
answered Marut, with his usual smile, which nothing ever seemed to disturb. Only remember that, if those terms are broken either in the letter or in the spirit, especially the spirit, that is the best rendering I can give you of his word, the manifold curses of the child will fall upon you and yours, yes, though you kill us all by treachery, still those curses will fall. "'May Jana take the child and all who worship it!' exclaimed the king with evident irritation. "'In the end, O king, Jana will take the child and its followers, or the child will take Jana and his followers. Which of these things must happen is known to the child alone, and perchance to its prophets. Meanwhile, for every one of those of the child, I think that three of the followers of Jana, or more, lie dead upon this field.' Also the caravan is now out of your reach with two of the white lords, and many of such tubes which deal death, like that which we have surrendered to you. Therefore, because we are helpless, do not think that the child is helpless. Jana must have been asleep, O king, or you would have set your trap better. I thought that this coolly insolent speech would have produced some outburst, but in fact it seemed to have the opposite effect. Making no reply to it, Simba said almost humbly, "'I come to drink the cup of peace with you and the white lord, O prophet. Afterwards we can talk. Give me water, slave.' Then a man filled the great ivory cup with water from the skin he carried. Simba took it, and having sprinkled a little upon the ground, I suppose as an offering, drank from the cup, doubtless to show that it was not poisoned.' Watching carefully, I made sure that he swallowed what he drank by studying the motions of his throat. Then he handed the cup with a bow to Marut, who, with a still deeper bow, passed it to me. Being absolutely parched, I absorbed about a pint of it, and feeling a new man, passed the horn to Marut, who swallowed the rest. Then it was filled again for our three white kenda, the king first tasting the water as before, after which Marut and I had a second pull. When at length our thirst was satisfied, horses were brought to us, serviceable and docile little beasts, with sheepskins for saddles, and loops of hide for stirrups. On these we mounted, and for the next three hours rode across the plain, surrounded by a strong escort, and with an armed black kender running on each side of our horses, and holding in his hand a thong attached to the ring of the bridle, no doubt to prevent any attempt to escape. Our road ran past, but not through some villages, whence we saw many women and children staring at us, and through beautiful crops of mealies and other sorts of grain that in this country were now just ripening. The luxuriant appearance of these crops suggested that the rains must have been plentiful, and the season all that could be desired. From some of the villages by the track arose a miserable sound of wailing. Evidently their inhabitants had already heard that certain of their menkind had fallen in that morning's fight. At the end of the third hour we began to enter the great forest which I had seen when first we looked down on Kenderland. It was filled with splendid trees, most of them quite strange to me, but perhaps because of the denseness of their overshadowing crowns there was comparatively no undergrowth. The general effect of the place was very gloomy, since little light could pass through the interlacing foliage of the tops of those mighty trees. Towards evening we came to a clearing in this forest. It may have been four or five miles in diameter, but whether it was natural or artificial I am not sure. I think, however, that it was probably the former for two reasons. 
the hollow nature of the ground which lay a good many feet lower than the surrounding forest and the wonderful fertility of the soil which suggested that it had once been deposited upon an old lake bottom never did i see such crops as those that grew upon that clearing they were magnificent wending our way along the road that ran all through the tall corn for here every inch was cultivated we came suddenly upon the capital of the black kenda which was known as simba town it was a large place somewhat different from any other african settlement with which i am acquainted inasmuch as it was not only stockaded but completely surrounded by a broad artificial moat filled with water from a stream that ran through the centre of the town over which moat there were four timber bridges placed at the cardinal points of the compass these bridges were strong enough to bear horses or stock but so made that in the event of attack they could be destroyed in a few minutes riding through the eastern gate a stout timber structure on the farther side of the corresponding bridge where the king was received with salutes by an armed guard we entered one of the main streets of the town which ran from north to south and from east to west it was broad and on either side of it were the dwellings of the inhabitants set close together because the space within the stockade was limited these were not huts but square buildings of mud with flat roofs of some kind of cement evidently they were built upon the model of oriental and north african houses of which some debased tradition remained with these people thus a stairway or ladder ran from the interior to the roof of each house whereon its inhabitants were accustomed as i discovered afterwards to sleep during a good part of the year also to eat in the cool of the day many of them were gathered there now to watch us pass men women and children all except the little ones decently clothed in long garments of various colours the women for the most part in white and the men in a kind of bluish linen i saw at once that they had already heard of the fight and of the considerable losses which their people had sustained for their reception of us prisoners was most unfriendly indeed the men shook their fists at us the women screamed out curses while the children stuck out their tongues in token of derision or defiance most of these demonstrations however were directed at marut and his followers who only smiled indifferently at me they stared in wonder not unmixed with fear a quarter of a mile or so from the gate we came to an inner enclosure that answered to the south african cattle crawl surrounded by a dry ditch and a timber palisade outside of which was planted a green fence of some shrub with long white thorns here we passed through more gates to find ourselves in an oval space perhaps five acres in extent evidently this served as a market ground but all around it were open sheds where hundreds of horses were stabled no cattle seemed to be kept there except a few that with sheep and goats were driven in every day for slaughter purposes at a shambles at the north end from the great stock crawls built beyond the forest to the south where they were safe from possible raiding by the white kenda a tall reed fence cut off the southern end of this market-place outside of which we were ordered to dismount passing through yet another gate we found within the fence a large hut or house built on the same model as the others in the town which marut whispered to me was that of the king behind it were smaller houses in which lived his queen and women good-looking females who advanced to meet him with obsequious bows to the right and left were two more buildings of about equal size one of which was occupied by the royal guard and the other was the guest-house whither we were conducted it proved to be a comfortable dwelling 
about thirty feet square but containing only one room with various huts behind it that served for cooking and other purposes in one of these the three camel-men were placed immediately on our arrival food was brought to us a lamb or kid roasted whole upon a wooden platter and some green mealy cobs boiled upon another platter also water to drink and wash with in earthenware jars of sun-dried clay i ate heartily for i was starving then as it was useless to attempt precautions against murder without any talk to my fellow-prisoner for which we were both too tired i threw myself down on a mattress stuffed with corn-husks in a corner of the hut drew a skin rug over me and having commended myself to the protection of the power above fell fast asleep End of chapter eleven